Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. Okay, so I'm so glad to have Yash Vasant here with me from Ahmedabad, uh, India. Welcome to my podcast, Yash. Prego, thank you very much. And Yash, um, he's an entrepreneur who happens to love to speak. Uh, he's recognized as one of the youngest leading speakers in India. He has a degree in neuroscience and economics from Los Angeles and has successfully started and developed eight businesses. Uh, Yash is a growing authority on leadership psychology. He has helped and groomed over 5,000 businesses and social leaders in India. And he's also the founder of BNI in Ahmedabad, which is a business networking and referral marketing organization. Uh, so Yash, um, I actually wanted to uh, quote a quote of yours that is actually your favorite quote, which is this one, which I love. The fear of falling is nowhere close to the magnificent of flying. So my first question to you is actually, are you now mostly flying? Oh, man, you know, it's such a weird thing that you start with this question. If you spoke to my mom, she would tell you I'm crazy because ever since I was a child, the one thing I've wanted to do, if you ask me, Yash, what's a superpower that you want? I'll tell you it is 100% to fly. And that quote I came up with because I feel like we, um, all of us, all of us as human beings, we sometimes take decisions out of fear, which I think is absolutely the worst thing to do because you know, someone can come up to you and say, hey, look, what if I fail? What's going to happen? And my question to them has always been, well, what if you fly? What's going to happen then? And it's just such a different switch where one question can change and supercharge everything that you're doing. So I am constantly flying, if that's the question. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. And I know that you, you want to bring about a big change in India uh, to actually inspire the entire country, if possible, to rise and, and to step up. But in what way and, and how are you going to go about it? It's a big, big dream, big goal. Because I'd start off by saying that if you're going to do something, you you rather make it big. You know, once upon a time, there was this guy. He, he went up to his uh, wife and he said, he went up and gave her a dollar and said, hey, you know what? I saved a dollar today. And she says, oh, how? He says, well, I ran behind a bus and I ran home. The wife whacks him and says, well, next time run behind a taxi and save 20, you know? Because the same time is spent chasing a small dream as it is chasing a big dream. And I feel like the same time is spent chasing a million dollars as the same time it takes to get 10. Um, so the dream is large. And the way I wish to go about it is to first 100% find clarity in what it is that I want to pass on, what it is that, uh, what kind of change I want to bring about. And once that clarity exists, which by the way, only comes when you communicate uh, more and more and when you meet more people and when you interact um, on this kind of a uh, platform more and more and once you have that you pick up a mic because if you see the other quote uh, which people quote me uh, today saying and I came up with this about four or five years ago and I love it is no guns ever changed the world it was always a man or a woman with a microphone and uh, that's why I love to speak so if you ask me how I want to go about building the change I think it is to pick up a microphone. Mm. And, and, and that way also influence 
other, I guess, influencers as well, right? And get that going. Yes, that's the idea, right? That's the idea because you want to create something. You want to create a domino effect. You want to create a system where it is sustainable even once, even when you're gone as the idea. I don't want to be a thing. I want to be an idea. And I think an idea lasts forever. An idea can get into someone's head uh, and be replicated, can be resonated, can be resounded. And hence the idea is to influence the influencers. You're right. And I read somewhere in your, I think it was on your website about that you're reaching out to this, let's say, overarching sentiment of building pride, that that's one of your kind of keys or tools, building pride in oneself and to stimulate people in your home country to really do that. Absolutely. And I wouldn't just limit that to India, Vesna, because one of the main purposes that I had when I was you know, not so long back, you know, getting into the business world and interacting with so many people. I've been blessed to have, you know, some of the best mentors and I've been blessed to be able to be around the world, to put myself in positions where I get to interact with some extraordinary people. And the one thing that I genuinely believe uh, is happening in the world is that people are suffering and people really are suffering with things that might seem very, very trivial if put in the right light. And one of the main causes that I think makes the world miserable for some, uh, and by some I mean a large part of the world, if you go meet them, is this one sentiment which you just spoke about. So the way I like to express it is this, that I was very confused about five or six years ago, and I was traveling the world looking for the one answer which I could not find. And the question in my mind at that point was, what is the difference between good and great. You know, what's the difference between a Microsoft and an Apple? What's the difference between two countries, let's say in India and the US? What's the difference between two families or two organizations? And what is it that really gives something, someone or some place an edge over something else? And I kept looking for that one answer because I feel like there's always an exact answer. I don't like grays. I'm a black and white kind of guy. So I kept looking, I kept looking, kept looking. And I I was around the world. I was in Ecuador. You've heard the short story of me diving with the sharks, and I was in uh, Africa a lot. And all of a sudden, while in Africa once, this answer hit me. And it hit me uh, in such a manner that I formed my entire life's mission around it, which was like this. is you know, I, I asked myself while I was in the plains in Masai Mara, is the lion a strong animal or is the elephant a strong animal? And the answer was yes. I mean, it's a mighty animal. It can crush any other animal in the forest. But the elephant isn't the king of the jungle. The king of the jungle is a lion. And the question is why? Why is the lion the king of the jungle and not the elephant? And I, I kept thinking about that for a little bit. And you know, I thought about all the other big cats and the other animals in the savanna or in other forests. And, and the lion kept striking out. And then it hit me. It hit me that it wasn't that the lion was faster or stronger or more efficient in any form or manner. But you know what it was? It was that when a lion roars, a lion roars with pride. And not one but a hundred elephants run. Pride was the one thing that, and that's what you call a group of lions. You call it a pride. And of course, I'm extrapolating to, you know, just uh, making sense of this word pride. Uh, but pride is the one thing that if you insert in any organization, any individual, any country, it looks different. It tastes different. It smells different. It, it walks different. 
and um, people should watch out. I mean, I pride is not the same as arrogance. You know, pride doesn't look the same as arrogance at all. Of course, there's a very thin line, uh, but pride, if inserted, stops a lot of things. For instance, you know, when I'm on stage, I've asked people, do you think a proud man rapes a woman or an insecure man? And the answer is an insecure man. Do you think a proud man beats his children or an insecure man? Do you think a proud man is going to pollute his own country or his own city or an insecure one? And the answer consistently, consistently is uh, that insecurity is the bane of a lot of things that happen. And hence, if we are able to effectively build pride, we will not just help people get out of suffering. We'll be able to build uh, humanity on a platform that is self-reliant, is respectful, and is a lot of fun because I think fun is quintessential. Yeah. And uh, what is um, the element of fun when when you choose things uh, to do or not to do? Is that one of your criterias? It actually is the criteria. I uh, there's been so much talk about finding your purpose and finding your why. And why do you do this? And why do you do that? And, you know, you've interviewed so many people and there are some extraordinary people out there, but here's just my take on it in an uncensored way is I think people have gotten too carried away with the why. Because really, if you look at it, you know, let's say you find someone, you find a businessman and you say, hey, look, why are you doing this? And they'll say, well, because let's say someone runs an IT company, they'll say, well, because I love IT. That's not a great reason. You know, people say, but why? Why do you want to do this? What's your purpose? What's your calling? And the guy at the end of it, if you ask him 10 times, there's only one or two answers to pick from. Well, the first answer he can say is, well, my why is that I want to impact the world and make the world a better place. And the second why is I want to feel satisfied because I'm helping others. These are the only two whys that you can possibly come up with if you keep asking that question. But more often than not, the best why that I found in billionaires that I've spoken to, in the best employees that I have, or the best teammates or the best people that I've met is, hey, look, why do you do this? And they'll say, well, I don't know, Yash. I don't know why I do it, but I absolutely love it. And if that's the answer, you know, when I asked you, Vesna, why are you doing this? You said, well, I don't know. It was a hobby and now it's, I just can't get over it. I love it. There is no deeper why to it. And that, that will make you absolutely brilliant at what you're doing. Because if you're having fun, uh, you're going to be able to make the impact that you want anyway. So that's my big question. Am I going to have fun doing this? Then I will do it. If not, I'm just going to avoid it completely. <laughs> And that happens a lot in my life. Like I will not go to certain events. I will avoid meeting certain people. I, I feel like there is, it's not a short life in a philosophical sense, but there you must pick and choose. So I'd just rather pick the fun things as opposed to things which uh, I don't consider fun. Good rule. What would you uh, define uh, as you as your like passion? You know that word. You know that it comes from the Latin word patire, which means really to suffer. So it's it's like something that you are so thrilled about, and so passionate about that you're also willing to suffer for it if needed. You know that's that important to you. What is that for you? Wow, I love how you phrased it. I'd say I'm extremely uh, passionate about understanding what makes human beings tick. I absolutely, like I can't tell you how much I absolutely love people. I love people and I love to understand uh, why they do what they do in a certain way and how different things uh, come together. I love patterns. I, I love to figure out, 
the causation correlation between why certain people behave the way they do. Hence my education and hence uh, BNI, for instance, you know, I get to meet hundreds, hundreds of businessmen and women every day uh, with every uh, event I go to or everywhere I go to speak. My primary uh, motivation for what is fun to me is getting to interact with some extraordinary people. So I absolutely love to understand the nuances of human behavior. Uh, and I'm extremely passionate to communicate that. For instance, relationships have been one of my uh, biggest um, things of inquiry. You know, I, they enthrall me. I find them fascinating. And I also feel like people around the world have screwed them up so bad uh, that there is so much that we can do uh, to bring clarity and peace in a lot of people's hearts. So I, I am extremely passionate about understanding what makes human beings ticks and communicating them in whatever form I can. Mm. And so far in your life, what, what would you say has been, you know, the transformational points when you look back in your life that have influenced you the, the most? I had a very loving childhood and um, I wouldn't take any part of that ever away, but it wasn't the easiest, you know, it was a tough childhood. And I was growing up in India and then life went on and I had, I believe, one of the best opportunities, which I wish upon everyone, was to go to university abroad. And, you know, I'd worked hard and I had the opportunity to go to UCLA to for my undergrad. And as I moved to Los Angeles, I think was one of the biggest influencing factors in my life if we skip to that portion of my life. Because once we once I got there, there was an experience that I'd like to share is uh, you know, I got there and I was always very friendly in, uh, while I was in India. I was, I was someone that would interact with anyone and everyone. I was never shy, so to say, and I, I had a lot of friends and I, would, I, I was essentially the way I was. But when I got there, I realized that the world is not, you know, we, we as human beings are the same, but the way we interact is not the same. It doesn't go across cultures or across boundaries as easily as some would think that it would. And when I got there, I, I realized that there was a connect that I did not have with people who were not from my country. Uh, there was a gap in terms of what was said and what was understood. And that really influenced me to start thinking about how important communication is. And that built in a, a major importance to communication in everything that I've done since and everything that I feel like I'm going to do uh, henceforth from here. So that was, a, that was a major part, going to university uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, then a second major influencing part of my life would be when I started my business, I'd say. So when I started uh, working uh, with and in BNI was a great influence in my life because now I had the opportunity to really uh, lead a group of people. And I think adversity is something that most people can face. I mean, most people have faced and most people get out of adversity. But if you want to really test your character or test someone else's character, give them success, because that that will really define who you are. The real truths about people come out. So it was it was really great to see that growth story and try and understand who I was as I grew up. Uh, that was brilliant. And another transformational experience for me was the first time I went up on stage to speak. So the first time I remember I went up on stage to uh, speak, the night before I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I had the worst uh, feeling in my stomach, like I, I wanted to throw up, but I couldn't. And it was just an absolute mess. I was so nervous. I got up on stage and I was shaking uncontrollably. I could not 
I, the words would not come out, even though I managed to spit some stuff out and get by. And I threw up right after, you know, two minutes after I got off stage, I went straight to the bathroom and I was throwing up all over the place. And that moment, that moment was really uh, powerful for me. And I, I think that that was like a breaking point. And from there on today, I feel the most safe on stage. Like I've measured my uh, blood pressure, like on my watch. And if I'm on stage, it goes down to a level that is just is like a meditative state for me. And it's my safe space. So if you surround me with 500 people, I'm happy. A thousand people, I'm happier. And 5,000 people there, I feel even calmer and safer. It's been a weird transformation. That's a big moment for me. That's really uh, interesting because typically, I mean, some kind of butterflies always remain and people say it's always good that you have a little bit of butterflies in your stomach when you're on stage because then you're really like, it means that you're focusing and you're concentrating and you know, you're going to deliver well. But but in, in your case, it's like after that horrible experience, once, you're all fine. It was like the medicine. Also, here's how I put it. It's not that you're all fine because here's the thing about the butterflies is when a... Um, for instance, let's take a runner, someone who runs marathons frequently and someone who doesn't run. And you have both of them run a 10-mile distance, okay? And both of them manage to run it and they finish. And you go up to the guy that doesn't run very often and you say, hey, look, how does it feel? And he says, oh, my God, my legs are hurting. I hate it. This hurts so much. It's just my lungs are on fire. Like, it's just I hate this. And then you go up to the marathoner and his lungs are on fire too and his legs are hurting too. But when you ask him, hey, look, how do you feel? He says, my thighs are hurting and I absolutely love it. This pain is awesome. And my lungs, they feel like they are on fire. Like it is the most awesome feeling I've ever had. The fire is the same. The burn is the same. The pain is the same. It's just the interpretation of how you take, of what you consider pain and what you consider pleasure. In fact, extrapolating from that, I think all our lives, all we're doing as human beings is we're avoiding pain and we're running towards pleasure. Uh, the only thing that we don't put perspective to is that we have the ability to choose what is pain and what is pleasure. And that changes the way someone's life turns out. And when you mentioned initially that you, you, your upbringing in India and so on, that that was, um, of course, a happy one, but, but also that it was tough in a way. It was tough because we didn't grow up in the richest of families. It was the richest in its love, but I saw a lot of hard work uh, being put in by my parents. Uh, the Indian society isn't the easiest to share with you as much as I can. We, the caste system in that sense still exists. Uh, when my parents were getting married, so before, way before I was born, they belonged to different castes, my mother being to a higher caste belonging to a higher caste, my father to a, a class that is considered one step below it, which is the warrior class and the business class. But anyways, you don't, you don't, if you don't get into all of that, they had trouble getting married. They loved each other. They wanted to get married, but it wasn't the easiest marriage. That means the acceptance into a family uh, isn't as easy for the woman coming into the family after marriage which leads to a few issues in terms of how the family functions. But for me, what that did was it really started giving me a sense of how people function, how people take things, what meanings they attach to different situations. But there was a lot of struggle from a standpoint of working very, very, very hard to get where you want to be. And I think that gave me the tools to become and do what I am doing today. 
If we go back to the business world, is there a, like a long-term solution or formula that you really believe in that could be valid for all companies? Yes. Uh, yes, I do believe that there is. there are certain things that always work. And the first, I don't know if it's a formula, but the first belief that I have uh, for businesses and for people wanting to Because the primary question that people ask is, hey, what do I do? Like, I don't know my purpose. I don't know my why. Like, what is it that I should get into? And a company to me is nothing but, you know, the founder or the CEO or whoever started the company, their vision, their drive to do what they're doing. And then every other person coming into the team, having a similar drive with an accumulated purpose to get them where they want to go. So that said, uh, the greatest chicken and egg story according to me, is the story of you doing what you like and you doing what you're good at. Because I feel like you like what you're good at and you're good at what you like. Right? So if you like doing something, you're going to be good at it. And if you're good at something, you're going to like doing it. And that cycle repeats itself. So uh, for me, the first step is figure out what is fun to you. Figure out what it is that you really enjoy doing. That's your step one if you're doing formulas. Uh, then the second step would be to explore it, to 100% question it, to find situations that will make you question your belief. Because if you're never questioning it, you will not have a strong belief. It's just a thought. It's not really a belief. It hasn't been bolstered in. Uh, so explore and hence get confused. Get completely confused because confusion to me is the best thing that a businessman can have. If you're confused, that means you're about to learn something new. It means that you're thinking. It means you're doing some sort of thought process, just like we spoke about fear, right? If, if you're afraid, like when you go up on stage, that means you care. That means you want to do well. If you're afraid before an exam, that means you actually care. If you're afraid before getting married, that means that you actually care about the marriage because if you didn't care about it, you wouldn't be afraid. So uh, uh, get totally confused because you're exploring, you're getting confused, and then you find clarity. And when you find clarity, you find consistency. So find clarity, be consistent with it, and have an absolute ball doing it. Have fun doing it. So uh, get confused, find clarity, be consistent with it, and have fun equals a great business. Mm. <laughs> and when, when people are in this confusion state, uh, which is good for them, still, is it about getting to that clarity on their own, or is there more of a collaborative, inclusive effort? So that's a great question because, um, you know, that we would have to deep dive in it. But I usually feel like clarity is going to come. So to everyone that's listening, if you are confused, please know that clarity is just around the corner. Now, it may come through a collaborative effort. It may come through an exploration of a new subject, a new country, a new activity, a new person. Uh, it may come through introspection, but it will come. I don't think there is one, you know, one strategy that will get you to clarity because a lot of people, I hear them speak and I hear them give uh, people advice as to what worked for them. But what worked for one might not necessarily work for someone else. Just know that it's going to be there and uh, these are the different routes that you can choose. If one doesn't work, go to the other, go to the third, go to the fourth. But once you find clarity, please stick with it because that's not what's happened now is... Uh, you know, back in the day, the question used to be, is this going to make you happy? Was the question, you know, is this marriage going to make you happy? Or is this job going to make you happy? Today, I feel the question has become, is this going to make you happier? Is this going to make me happier? 
Now, the answer to this question is always going to lead you to continuously keep changing, right? Because you never know, is this other woman going to make me happier? Is this other job going to make me happier? Is this other business going to make me happier? It leads to a constant state of confusion. So the way I like to put it is uh, clarity comes when you, you figure out that you enjoy doing something and you decide to go and run with it. You run with it the whole way and do one thing and become absolutely brilliant at it because that's mastery and that's what the world needs and that's what people respect and that's what's going to give you a sense of satisfaction. But if you would assume that you have like all doors open to you and all resources available, and I know that you have a little bit of that mindset uh, naturally anyway, so what would you immediately rush to innovate or actually change? This is brilliant. And my answer here immediately is I would, um, I would change the fundamentals of religion. It's been one of my things to, um, to understand, break down, and develop what we would call fundamentals of religion. And why I say this in, a, in as much of a non-provocative way as I can is because we've evolved in everything, right? Today, the society we live in today is absolutely not the same as it used to be just 10 years ago or 50 years ago, definitely not what it was 200 or 2,000 years ago. And most things have evolved except the fundamentals of a few things. For instance, the way we look at man and woman, the way we look at uh, marriage or relationships, and primarily coming down to religion as a driving force hasn't evolved. I feel like that religion is an absolutely beautiful and brilliant way to control and channel the masses. With that said, it is also a tool that can get convoluted because things are left up to interpretation. I would revamp it and have a religion that is uh, easier to understand. Uh, rules are good, a set of rules that apply to today more so than to the past, and um, have them be able to reach more to the millennials, the, the generation next, the people that are now coming up, so that we have a more cohesive single society. That's a wonderful priority, actually, because it's, uh, I mean, as it is now, it just feels that religion is very much used as a power tool. It always was, right? Because when you have something you don't understand, it makes it very easy to take people in the direction you want. And I feel like people in general are looking to be led, right? People are looking to be led. They're looking for good leaders. And when you find someone, what, what is a great religious leader? Everything I've told you, right? A great religious leader is someone who has clarity, is consistent with that clarity, sticks with it, and makes sure he communicates it well. And going back to that question in the long-term formula, if we were talking about a business or leadership in general, the one C that if I, let's make C. So confusion, clarity, consistency, and communication. These are the four C's that make a great business or a great leaders. And as I just came up with it, I'm actually going to write it down, but confusion, then clarity, then consistency, and then communication, because most people are thinking something, they never communicate it, which I think is a problem. A religion would be something that I'd love to change the fundamentals of. And, and, and yet you are in a, in a country with, with such a complexity, right? So that, that would be a challenge. Yes, I would. And it would be a lot of fun doing it. And I promise you, there's, there's ways that it can be worked about. You just have to be uh, willing to really give yourself to it. 
Is there? Do you have any spontaneous comments on on the situation right now in India? What do you think is the main priority, or should be the main priority? Number one. So, do you mean as like a political leader, or? Yeah, in terms of leadership. If I was given, uh, assume all doors are open, all resources available, what would be the number one priority in India? Beyond any doubt in my mind, my my answer would be to build pride. I think insecurity is the one thing that destroys a lot of relationships, organizations, countries, and humanity as a whole. Uh, but in India, there is a, an absolute need to build pride for themselves, for their culture, for their country. And pride will change the way India goes, because currently, I don't think we are a very proud people. There's a big divide between pop culture, between what's coming in from the West, what is valued as being valuable. So uh, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion as to what should we believe in. You know, there's something we're being told at home. There's something we're being told in the schools. But then on the internet and uh, then on TV, we see something completely different, which is the route we want to take. And a lot of the routes being taken in the country today are out of following what they think America is doing, for example, or the West in general is doing, as opposed to taking a thought out approach, you know, thinking about what they want to do and really getting there. Of course, that's changing. I'm not saying for everyone, but India is is a massive country with a lot of people. And uh, I talk in general for uh, the masses where building pride would really give the country shape. And if you would be able to give, you know, one piece of advice to leaders, however you define those today, what would it be? Leadership to me is clarity. If I were to give uh, just one word of advice would be to communicate, communicate, and communicate. Uh, and why I say this is because a lot of times, well, first, let's just go one step back. What is leadership? You know, leadership is like love. Like, you can't define this. When did leadership happen? Like, at what point did I become a leader? At what point uh, did someone else that you know or I know become a leader? Was it when they got a title or was that not enough? When did they become my leader from a leader? You know, when did this transition happen? When did you start loving someone or when did you stop loving someone? Like, when do these things happen? So to me, a lot of leaders in general, everyone can be a good leader, uh, but a leader that doesn't communicate it isn't a leader. So, for example, if I were to uh, do this, if I were to hum a song for you and then have you guess it. Uh, so I'm going to hum a song that goes like this. <laughs> Do you know what song I'm humming? No. <laughs> no, you have no idea. But in my head, I am 100% certain that I am humming Would You Follow Me Into The Jungle, right? I know for a fact what I'm humming, but you have absolutely no idea what I'm humming. And most leaders assume that the people following them will know what they're humming. That's the biggest problem. And hence, communicate well is my advice to leaders. Great. I can definitely endorse that. <laughs> if you were to give yourself, let's say, an advice like 10, 15 years ago, whatever is relevant for you, what would that be then? Uh, well, the first advice would be um, keep it up, man. It's all going to work out. So just, just have a great time doing it. But, you know, this reminds me, I wish I'd known and understood this poem that I now love. I actually don't know who it's by. 
uh, but it goes something like this. It says, the clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the clock will stop at late or early hour. Now is the only time you own, live, love, toil with a will, place no faith in time, because the clock may soon be still. And I tell this to me 15 years ago because I don't care what it is that you do. I, I would tell myself, I don't care what it is that you do, but whatever it is that you do, go crazy. And the word crazy is chosen on purpose because intensity is the answer to greatness. So uh, go absolutely berserk on whatever it is that you're doing. If you're having fun, have fun like you've never had before and do it in every single thing that you're doing. So keep exploring and keep giving your 100% to whatever it is that you're doing uh, is what I would have told myself. Great. So you, you've done well in that sense. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. And, I, I, and I'm grateful to uh, everything that has allowed me to do it because, you know, ever since I was, when I was three or four years old, I think maybe four years old, I did my first magic show on stage. You know, I was performing in front of like 400, 500 people pulling rabbits out of a hat when I was five years old. <laughs> and I, I absolutely loved it. I loved it. I worked as a bartender in Los Angeles, and, and that was there. So I, I've had this thing with people throughout, and I've been able to do that uh, in my life. And I wish for every person to be able to find something that they love doing so dearly, so dearly. <laughs> I saw uh, a speech by uh, one of our mutual f uh, friends, Dorota Moon, and, and in the background she, she had a question, which I think was very, very simple and very profound, and it goes like this. What if I will never be anything more than I am here and now? Could I be okay with that? And, and that's a very good question, actually, to ask oneself, I think, in, in life, in order to be able to also, uh, you know, go ahead and, and, and have fun and, and proceed with everything we want, uh, just to know that we are okay with, if everything would end just right this second, am I still happy uh, with what I've achieved and what I am am here and now <laughs> i love that question and here's my answer luckily you know now as i think about it the answer is 100 yes 100 yes because um, you know i was in a fraternity in college and uh, one of my uh, so my big bro uh, at the fat he told me this thing which i still remember he said yes there are three words that you must never have to say in your life and i said well what are they and he said Never say the words I should have, would have, or could have. You know, those are, those are three horrible words. It's okay to have things that you shouldn't have done or you couldn't have done, you know, whatever. But don't have regrets of not having done something. And I've lived it. It is a podcast, so I'm not going to tell you all of the things that we've been through. But it's been quite an interesting and curious life that I've been able to live. And today, if I was not able to be anything else but just me, I would be very happy because I wake up like a flashbulb with more energy than I've ever had. I sleep like a baby, and I have fun doing every small thing that I do throughout the day. So I'd love it. But at the same time, I want to tell you that I don't ever want to be in that situation because if I had nothing to chase, I don't think I would be, uh, I, I'm at a position where I want to let go yet. So, so here's the conflict. Here's the conflict. And I've had people ask me this because, you know, I've, I'll, I'll be on stage for different things. And one of the things would be to grow your business, make a lot of money. And the other thing which I talk about is 
you know, don't worry a lot. Just let go because at the end of the day, you're going to die anyways. You're going to die. Like, what's this whole thing about? And that conflict confuses people. And I feel blessed that at least I believe I have clarity and I, I'll share it with you. So uh, one of my very dear friends, uh, he's an extraordinary gentleman. I think he's enlightened as far as I'm concerned. He's a poet in India and he speaks in a, he writes in a local dialect. Uh, but if I were to translate one of his poems in uh, English, what he says is, you know, if you have nothing, if you have absolutely nothing in this world, come to me, you know, says God or whatever higher spirit. He says, if you have absolutely nothing, come to me. And if you have everything, I challenge you to come to me. So the goal is to first become able and achieve and then have the ability to let go. Because if you have not achieved, there is no beauty in letting go. Uh, so the stage I'm at right now, I, I would I would be very happy if I, I didn't become anyone else because I, I have the people I love around me. I have the means to, uh, you know, really break it down. Like I have the finances. I have the means to continue doing what I'm doing and doing what I love. But I would not want to be in that position because I absolutely, absolutely love, love growing, you know, bit by bit, bit by bit. And uh, hopefully one day I'm at a stage where I'm ready to let it all go. <laughs> you said that you're also being on stage talking about business and, and teaching people how to create business and earn money and so on. What is the, uh, if there is one uh, simple advice there, what is the main lesson in terms of building business and, and also earning money on it? Buy low and sell high. Everything else is noise. I mean, we overcomplicate it a lot. And today when I look at the world, like people complain about all kinds of things. But honestly, people don't want to work. If people wanted to work, we'd be able to, you know, there's opportunity in every small little thing that you do. But of course, I'm trivializing. Like when, if I were to give you like a solid thought process in um, the one thing that uh, would help uh, build a business, my answer is people. I don't think we build the business, we build people. And uh, if you're able to surround yourself with the right people, it could be employees, it could be partners, it could be bosses, it could be whatever, you will build a great business, I have no doubt. Yeah. I don't want to complicate that any more than people do. And, and also the, the same thing goes for the community or the people that you kind of surround yourself with and so on that you can um, learn from or be supported. 100%. You know, there's, um, uh, I don't know if you've heard of a man named Dr. Ivan Meisner. He's the founder of BNI, the organization globally, which I then founded in my city. And I, he's written a book, which I love. He says, the book's titled, Who's in Your Room? And the metaphorical question that he's asking is, you know, imagine your life was a room where anyone could come in, but nobody could leave. Would you be a little more selective about who you let into your room? And the whole idea is that your life is nothing but a function of who you've allowed in your room. So when I think about it, I look at it like this. Like if you've invited people who love drama, your life is going to be full of drama. You know, it's going to be a, a Netflix drama show. If you've invited people in your life who are suspenseful, mysterious, your life is going to be a mystery. You've invited people who love co who are comedic, your, your life is going to be a comedy. You know, it's that simple. So if you're crying about your life is too dramatic, just get some people out of your room or change the room. And um, 
be more selective about who you have around you. That's what's going to define your life. <laughs> so what, what's the most important thing uh, coming up next for you now? Well, we're working on a lot of things, but I, I'm uh, working on a book this year. You know, it's in the works. It's been on for six months, but it's primarily on relationships. And one of the titles I was thinking of, I'll share so you know uh, what it may be about, is the title is Don't Get Married, Build a Team. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't Get Married, Build a Team. Uh, because I just got married in February last year. And so it's a, actually yesterday was my marriage anniversary, so the 5th of February. Congrats, you made a year. <laughs> <laughs> made it a year and it didn't feel like it. I felt like it was yesterday, and which I think is a great sign because, uh, you know, I've had a few relationships in my life and I have a, I have a very uh, intense take on relationships. Maybe we can do a whole conversation for maybe 20 hours just <laughs> on that. <laughs> but so I'm working on that book and we're, we, we, uh, we're working on a new organization called Corporate Connections which is for uh, you know, business networking per se, for very high level companies. So it's a very exclusive organization for companies that make a certain amount of money or more. Mm -hmm. Is it global or? Oh yeah, yeah, it's global. It's based out of, uh, it originated out of Montreal um, and it's owned by the same investors that own BNI globally. Okay, mm -hmm. wow, interesting. Keep me up to date. Oh, I will, you're gonna love, you're gonna love this. <laughs> Okay, so just to finish off, what do you think that is the one most important thing for companies to focus on right now? Growth. I think if you're not growing, you're dying. And um, if I were to put it in another sense, focus on, you know, the world is going to become, if you see where the world is going now, it is, if you have a certain size, a certain scale, you're going to be able to function better. But on a daily basis, if you ask me what someone should focus on, is focus on growth. And I say this because to me, if you ask me, Yash, what is the definition of happiness, which a lot of people do ask me, and I ask people back in return, hey guys, what do you think is the definition of happiness? And people come up with all sorts of, sorts of answers. You know, For instance, happiness, uh, people would usually say, to me, happiness equals uh, satisfaction or when I know I'm doing the right thing. For some, it would be, you know, to me, happiness is waking up in the arms of the person I love. You know, people will usually agree to the sentiment that happiness means different things to different people. But if you ask me, I, I call bullshit. I say, absolutely not. To me, I believe that happiness equals just one thing and happiness equals growth. If you're growing you're happy. You know, it's not about reaching a $200 million mark, but it was about going from 200 to 201 to 202 and 203. So if you're growing in the number of books you have, you're happy. You're growing in the number of libraries you have, you're happy. You're growing in the number of companies, the number of employees, the number of clients, the amount of money, the number of bank accounts, the countries you're present in. Uh, if you are growing, you're happy. Uh, conversely, if someone dies in your family, you're sad. You lose something, you're sad. So literally anything apart from your belly is growing, you're happy, you know, and growth equals happiness. So if a company is focused on growth every single day with that sort of a mindset, I think that really, uh, really is a key to success. Yeah. And also in growth, in terms of, as you said, in terms of growing the people on, on board so that the whole team feels that they're growing, right? As people. Yes, because it's not just 
growing growing from 50 people in your team to 100 people but when i say growth i mean growing spiritually growing intellectually look at the best companies in the world today they're making it a point that the people uh, who work for them are growing and that's been a goal and it's been super to share with you you know i had a chauffeur for the past in india it's common to have one and he was with me for four years and uh, you know, I have a I have a pretty hectic schedule. Like I leave home at six a.m. in the morning, and you know, so he was with me through a uh, important part of my life. And then he quit. It's been about eight months since he quit, and he called me last week to invite me to his new office space. You know, he's bought two Audis. You know, he was making two hundred dollars a month. Today, he's set up a business. He has ten people working for him. He has uh, two cars of his own. He's bought a new home. He's just extraordinary what he's built. And I was so, so proud to see that. So if you're going to leave me, leave me and do something extraordinary. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. you've done your job well. Okay. Yes, the final question I have is, is sometimes people say, oh my God, you have such a big questions. But uh, what do you think the world needs most at this time? Oh, I don't think that's a big question. The answer is the world needs to slow down. The world really needs to slow itself down because I think they need to enjoy the ride. I mean, you're going on a bullet train where when you look outside the train, you barely know what you've just skipped. You know, you're looking at trees and then it's like, it's not really trees. You're looking at green and blue and brown and you're just looking at colors. We don't even know that the green is trees and the blue is this because at the end of the day, we're all like rivers going to end up in the ocean. and because we know where we're going to end up, it makes it so much easier if you're actually going to take the time to enjoy what it is that you're going through. So the pace of it is what is confusing it. If the world slows down and people appreciate that there is value in first being selfish, you know, focus on themselves, understand themselves. Uh, I see, I meet so many people today in the world who are trying to understand others, but have no idea what makes them tick you know, which is a, a paradoxical situation as far as I'm concerned, and this is just the way I am. Um, so take the time to understand yourself. Take the time to see what really makes you tick, what makes you happy, and then enjoy every single thing uh, that takes you there. Also enjoy the pain that you feel during the way because that pain is only going to make you better. Uh, so regardless if you're uh, 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 running away from pain or going towards pleasure in this world, if we slow it down and we really ponder about what it is that we're doing, it's going to be an enjoyable experience. Great. So out of curiosity, Yash, um, how was it to be on uh, the podcast? It was absolutely awesome because you asked some, these are not easy questions. I'm, I'm used to different questions. <laughs> But I love that you made me um, you made me think about things that I will now think about more often. So it this wasn't just a podcast for me. This was a lesson for me, which I really appreciate, Rasa. Okay, thanks, Yash. Thanks for for sharing uh, everything as well. And for people to find out more about what you're doing and so on, where could they head? Well, the best way is to check out my Facebook page. Uh, which is uh, Yash Vasant official. Instagram is at Yash Vasant, and they can always go to my website, yashvasant.com. Okay, 
that's great. Okay, and uh, you will also find links in show notes on corporateunplugged.com slash podcast. And, and remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and also share this episode with your network and friends for impact. Share it with people you know would benefit from hearing this. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, live with purpose, and remember to unplug. And ciao to Yash. Yeah.